In Renaissance times, Europeans were not the only ones accomplishing great things. I mean, no one can deny the beauty of Michelangelo's brushwork or the brilliance of Shakespeare's verse. But societies elsewhere also flourished. As the modern world turned 1,600 years of age, it seemed as though each corner of the globe had its own Renaissance. The Native American societies of North America were no different. They all had diverse cultures and languages, much like Europe. And when the British staked their claim to the east coast of the now modern United States, they could not have dreamed of the complexity of the peoples they were soon to encounter. Welcome to Print the Legend, a podcast for AP U.S. history students where we look at the stories that made up America and the stories that America made up. I'm your host, Mr. Nasosi, and on this very first episode, we'll take a look at life in the New World before Columbus arrived and certainly before the British, and the successes and failures of the very first colonies of Roanoke and Jamestown. There are between 140 and 160 different American Indian tribes. There is no single Native American language. And in fact, it would be difficult for the Mohawk Indians of the East to converse with the Zuni Indians of the West as it would be for the Germans conversing with the Turks. In fact, 27 states today derive their names from various Indian languages. Native Americans turn wild plants such as corn and potatoes, pumpkin, yams, and lima beans into farm crops for human consumption. And more than half of modern American farm products today were originally grown by Native Americans before British colonization. And medicine was not an unknown science in the Western Hemisphere. Most natural herbs used for medicinal purposes in the modern world had also been used by Native Americans before European contact. Despite myths to the contrary, not all Native Americans were peaceful. Like Europe, the American continent faced tribal warfare that sometimes led to human and cultural destruction. Most United States citizens consider Great Britain to be their European parent country. After all, both countries share a common language. However, by the time the British arrived in the New World and established their first permanent settlement at Jamestown in 1607, much of the continent had already been claimed by other European nations. In fact, all of the modern Southwest, including Texas and California, had been peopled by Spanish settlers for about a century. The entire expanse of land between the Appalachian Mountains and the Rocky Mountains had at one point been claimed by France. Many factors contributed to Britain's tardiness to the New World Party. England at the time was not the most powerful nation. It was Spain. And along with Portugal, 
Spain dominated New World exploration in the decades that followed Columbus. France, the Netherlands, and Sweden all showed greater interest in the Western Hemisphere than England did. And there's good reason why. England was divided in the 1500s by great religious turmoil. When Henry VIII broke with the Catholic Church in 1533, decades of religious strife ensued. Finally, under Henry's daughter Elizabeth I, the English were prepared to stake their claims. Let the fleet know we're on our way, Mr. Kelly. In 1588, one of the greatest turning points in world history occurred when Spain's invincible armada of 130 ships sailed into the English Channel. And despite their numerical inferiority, the English ships were faster and easier to maneuver than the Spanish fleet. And with the aid of a great storm, Elizabeth's ships humiliated Philip's navy, which returned to Spain with fewer than half their original number. This battle marked the beginning of the end of Spain's domination of Europe and the Western Hemisphere. More importantly for England, it marked the dawn of an era of permanent English settlement in the New World. In 1585, Sir Walter Raleigh and his men settled on a small island off the coast of modern-day North Carolina. They called it Roanoke. Relations with the Native American inhabitants were peaceful at first, but as the colonists' supplies dwindled, peace dwindled too. The colonists left in 1586, just a year later, after beheading the local Indian chief. Raleigh arranged for Governor John White and a group of families to return to Roanoke to live in peace with the natives the following year in 1587. But violence and that beheading was not easily forgotten. Within one month, hostilities resumed and Governor White was forced to return to England to ask Raleigh for reinforcements. But time was not on White's side. When the war with Spain erupted, White could not return to the colony for three years. When he set foot on Roanoke Island in August of 1590, he searched frantically for the settlers, including his daughter and granddaughter, the first English New World baby named Virginia Dare. All that could be found was the remains of a village and a mysterious word, Croatoan, engraved on a tree. White concluded, there must have been a connection between the word and a nearby Indian tribe. But before he could investigate, a violent storm forced him out to sea and back to England. The lost colony of Roanoke remains one of the greatest mysteries of the colonial period. It was called a joint stock company. It was the forerunner of the modern corporation. In a joint stock venture, stock was sold to high net worth investors who provided capital and had limited risk. These companies had proven profitable in the past with trading ventures. The risk was small and the returns were fairly quick. 
But investing in a colony thousands of miles to the west was an altogether different venture. The risk was larger as the colony might fail, and the startup costs were enormous, and the returns might take years. Investors in such endeavors needed more than a small sense of adventure. So who led these English colonial expeditions? Often these leaders were second sons from noble families. Under English law, only the firstborn male could inherit property. As such, Sir Francis Drake, Sir Walter Raleigh, and Sir Humphrey Gilbert were all second sons with a thirst to find their own riches. So the first joint stock company to launch a lasting venture to the New World was the Virginia Company of London. The investors had one goal in mind, gold. They hoped to repeat the success of Spaniards who found gold in South America. In 1607, 144 Englishmen and boys established the Jamestown Colony, named, of course, after King James I. The colonists were told that if they did not generate any wealth, financial support for their efforts would end. Many of the men spent their days vainly searching for that elusive gold. And as a consequence, the colonists spent little time farming. In fact, it was gold they were after, so food supplies dwindled. Malaria and the harsh winter besieged the colonists as well. And after the first year, only 38 of the original 144 had survived. The colony may well have perished had it not been for the leadership of John Smith. He imposed strict discipline on the colonists. Work or starve was his motto, and each colonist was required to spend four hours a day farming. An accidental gunpowder burn forced Smith to return to England, though, in 1607, and after his departure, the colony endured even more hardships. A new boatload of colonists and supplies sank off the coast of Bermuda on its way to the Hungry Settlement, and in the winter of 1609 and 1610, known as the Starving Time, well, this may have been the worst of all. Disease and hunger ravaged Jamestown. Two desperate colonists were tied to post and left to starve as punishment for raiding the colony stores. And one colonist even took to cannibalism, eating, yes, his own life. The fate of the venture was precarious, yet still more colonists arrived and the numbers included women. Despite the introduction of tobacco cultivation, the colony was a failure and a financial venture was declared bankrupt in 1624. About 200,000 pounds were lost among investors. The charter was thereby revoked and Virginia became a royal colony and the first in America to be ruled by the crown. What bolder can prognosticate or speak of our kingdom's present state? No longer under the flag of the Virginia Company, but now under the flag of the king, this British colony was experimenting with glassblowing and vineyard cultivation, even silkworm farming to generate revenue. But despite efforts to diversify Virginia's economy, by the end of 1620, only one Virginia crop was drawing a fair market price in England, tobacco. Tobacco was introduced to Europe by the Spanish, who had learned to smoke it from the Native Americans. 
And despite some early criticism of drinking smoke, tobacco became popular among the middle and upper classes in England. Much of the tobacco smoked in England was grown in the West Indies. But by 1630, over a million and a half pounds of tobacco were being exported from Jamestown, Virginia every year. The tobacco economy rapidly began to shape the society and the development of the colony. Growing tobacco does take its toll on the soil. Because tobacco drained the soil of its nutrients, only about three successful growing seasons could occur on a plot of land. Then the land had to lie fallow for three years before the soil could be used again. So this created a huge drive for, of course, new farmland. And indentured servants became the first means for procuring this crop. In return for free passage to Virginia, an indentured servant worked for four or five years in the fields before being granted freedom. The crown rewarded planters with 50 acres of land for every inhabitant they brought to the New World. So naturally, the colony began to expand. And that expansion was soon challenged by the Native American Confederacy formed and named after Powhatan. Powhatan regarded the English settlers suspiciously, as he had previously regarded the Spanish. But the English had guns and powder, and these items might give him the advantage he needed to defeat his surrounding tribes. And the English seemed so harmless at first, if it were not for the good nature of Powhatan's people. Many historians say the English settlers never would have survived the first few seasons in the New World. So it was these good relations with these new inhabitants that might help forge a powerful alliance. But before long, Powhatan's hopes were dashed. During the starving time in Jamestown, colonists took to raiding Native American food supplies. In retaliation, Powhatan ordered an attack. War raged on and off for the next few years with unspeakable brutality committed by both sides. Unsuspecting colonists were riddled with arrows. Children of defeated tribes were drowned in the James River. Finally, in 1614, Powhatan accepted peace with the English. His daughter, Pocahontas, after being kidnapped and ransomed, was married to John Rolfe and taken to England. Unfortunately, she died of disease only three years later, and Powhatan died in despair in 1618. And that concludes this episode of Print the Legend. Coming up in our next episode, the founders of New England had an entirely different mission from the Jamestown settlers to the south. Although economic prosperity was still the goal for New England settlers, their goal was spiritual. Fed up with the ceremonial Church of England, pilgrims and Puritans sought to recreate society in the manner that they believed God truly intended it to be. I'm Mr. Nasosi, and I thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me for this brief moment of learning. I look forward to welcoming you back right here next time. <laughs>